Today we're going to continue in James. And sometimes we do a special Mother's Day message. Today we're going to continue in James and continue where we're at. Because I think the text really fits Mother's Day and, and really fits the example that I see moms give us. Today we're going to talk in James how James is going to start to discuss how to put our faith into practice. How, how our Christianity really, if it's true Christianity, should affect every part of our lives. And James is just going to get really practical from here on out and deal with some hard areas of life, some, some good areas of life, but, but all of it very convicting because it's real. And that's one of the things I love about James is, is he just gets down to reality and say, says, this is how you apply Christianity to life. In many ways in our home, that, that is what Susie has done for our kids. And we're walking out the door this morning and she yells, hey, did you brush your teeth? To, to my kids. Um, <laughs> and um, one hadn't and there was some negotiating and, and so... But just taking care of those everyday things, if you're a normal human being and you want anyone to talk with you, you should brush your teeth. You know, it, it sounds so simple, but those are just the stuff of life, right? The details of life. And James in this passage is going to start to give us just some of the details of life, of Christian life. True Christianity must affect how we live or it isn't true Christianity. And, and he's not presenting a works-based salvation here, but he's saying, if you really love God, if your faith is genuine, it's going to make a difference in your life. A, a good example is everyone today, because it's Mother's Day, we're all like, I love mom. Mom's great. And if you sit here today and you say that, I'm glad you're saying that, but if you never call your mom, and if you never write her, if you never wish her happy Mother's Day, you know, if I was to walk by my mom this morning, maybe bump shoulders and go, eh. do I love my mom? Now, I know, I know maybe, and maybe I'm just having a bad day or something like that. But if we really love our moms, that's going to show in our actions. And, and, and so that's just an example of where James is going with Christianity. If we really love God, if we're sold out to God, if we've given our hearts to God, if He has saved us, then that will make a difference in our lives. And just right from the start, I have to echo what James is going to say throughout the whole book. If it hasn't made a difference in our lives, I urge you to evaluate whether you've given your life to God. Because true Christianity affects our lives. Our title for this sermon series is Real Faith in Real Life. And we just get down to the nitty-gritty and faith must affect our lives. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And we'll be taking the the next section as we study through James 19 through 27. But James chapter 1, 19 through 27. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a chair right around you in in one of the little um, book racks under the chairs. Love for you to take that and follow along. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home as our gift to you because we want you to have it. But I want you to know that this is coming from God's Word and not just what, what Pastor Ron thinks this morning. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. Sort of the context here, the background. We know at the beginning of James, James dove right into trials and said, count it all joy or choose joy in the middle of trials. Some of the craziest stuff you'll see is how do we choose joy in trials? Then he gave us some reasons or some ways. He said, ask for wisdom because God is generous and just wants to pour his wisdom on you. And then last week, 
we looked at, but don't blame God for the trials. He's not the cause of evil in this world, but He allows it and He is using them sovereignly in our lives so we can trust Him because God is a good God always. And so now we come, it feels like a shift in, in the book of James. It feels like, okay, we're going to leave trials behind and we're going to jump to some really practical things. And, and it is a, a bit of a shift. But I actually think there's some logic behind it because he's been dealing with trials and last week's section is dealing with our response to trials. And we can either respond with joy or we can respond with bitterness and we can respond to temptation and doubt God. But one of the ways that we can respond to trials is anger. In fact, often, if we don't respond well to trials, we respond with frustration and we respond with anger and, and a, a hard heart. And, and one of the things that's, that's true of anger is when we are an angry person, that just spews out on everyone around us. Our anger is rarely defined to one person or one situation. Our anger affects everyone around us. If I'm angry, my whole family knows I'm angry. And unfairly and, and unjustly, that's taken out on them if, if I'm struggling with anger. And that's true of all of us. And so the very first thing as James gets practical is he deals with anger. And he says, okay, we, we, we've talked about trials, but let's talk about real Christianity, true Christianity, and let's start with one of the tougher subjects, anger. A subject that I would bet everyone in this room struggles with at times. Probably has struggled with sometime this week. How do we control anger? How do we, how does that illustrate the fruit of the Spirit? And so we come to verses 19 and 20, and, and we're going to be talking about what are the marks of genuinely following Christ? What are the marks of true Christianity? What difference should it make in our lives? And, and James doesn't give us all of them. But in this passage, he gives us seven of them. And there's a lot more marks, but we want to look at, okay, what does he Say, what does he bring up? These are probably things that the people he's writing to are struggling with. But what does he bring up that are marks of genuinely following Christ? And the first is in verses 19 and 20, controlling our anger. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And these are two of the verses that you, know, you could highlight underline, type up, put on, put on a, your window in the morning, your mirror in the morning, because these are so powerful in two short verses. A mark of genuinely following Christ is we're able to control our anger. Our anger doesn't control us, but we rather control it and we maintain godliness, we maintain righteousness in how we deal with situations and how we deal with each other. James starts with know this, and it's, it's really a challenge, an imperative. Take note of this. This is important. And almost always when he says something like, know this, my beloved brothers, he's, he's introducing a new section of the book. We know that this is a new section, and he says, know this, take note of this, my beloved brothers, or you could, you could read that, my beloved brothers or sisters. Remember, one of the themes we talked about was look for relationship and community in James. Every time he starts to, to dive in and bring up some convicting things and some challenging things, he reminds them how much they're loved. He reminds them of relationship. And so his correction here isn't just, bam, I'm going to lower the hammer on you. You need to do this. This correction is in the context of, I care about you. I care about you deeply. You're my beloved brothers and sisters. But you need to know this. This is important. 
And he, so he starts with anger. And, and, and he gives us three different points about anger. I have them in your notes that you can fill them in. Just right out of verse 19 there. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you walk away with anything this morning, that verse will change your life. If we can put that verse into practice in our relationships, in, in the situations we encounter, that will change your life. This is a great short proverb of how to deal with anger and how to deal with conversations and arguments and disputes. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And just think about, think about those three. And, and some would say that he's talking about the Word of God, quick to hear the Word of God. Um, that's just difficult to interpret. He's talking about relationships here because slow to speak and slow to anger are definitely about relationships. And so he, he's painting a picture of how Christianity should affect our lives and how we treat each other and how we deal with these things. Practicing these things, the, just these three things, would end almost every argument you're in. And if you find yourself during the week in a lot of arguments, a lot of disagreements, these three things would, would pretty much solve that. Not in every case, but in most cases. First one, quick to hear. The wording there is, is basically, hurry up and listen. If, if you're in a dispute, if you feel anger rising, hurry up and listen. Like, what? No, 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 I have a lot to say. I need to show them the way. They're wrong. I know why they're wrong. And I'm going to pin them in a corner until they admit they're wrong. Because that always works. And James says, how about this? How about living out your faith by listening first? By being quick to that? By making sure you understand the other person? Don't be formulating your response. Don't be getting your canon of your words ready in this argument but stop and genuinely, honestly listen and try to understand. In counseling, in marriage counseling, in premarital counseling, sometimes I word this by saying, understand before trying to be understood. And it will change how you interact with people. Understand before trying to be understood. One counselor said this as he listens to the dialogue of couples, and he says, for the most part, they're a dialogue of the deaf. Think about that. As he counsels couples, for the most part, he says, they're a dialogue of the deaf. Nobody's hearing the other person. Nobody's listening to the other person. But listening requires focus. It requires work. But it's worth it. You know, sometime this week, you and your your spouse might have a disagreement, a different way of looking at things. I hope you have some different ways of looking at things because then you're refining each other and growing. But I challenge you, start Start the conversation by understanding where they're coming from. Asking good questions. We all know when tension is rising in the home. What if when you feel the tension is rising, you say, you know what? I really honestly want to understand where you're coming from. And I want to know your point of view. Can you explain that to me a little bit more? And then you ask some follow-up questions that verify that you understand. That changes everything. The, the other person might at first be like, okay, what kind of strange trick is this to get your way? But if you're honest with it, if you're, if you're really interested in what they have to say, it will change that interaction. Half the time, we realize we're mad about the wrong things. 
Uh, parents. This is, this is true of us as parents. Especially if you have teenage kids. Teenagers, yes, they may, they may do some things that we think are counterproductive to the family and, and may do some things that are rebellious at times. Start by figuring out why. Start by asking questions. There are times I've given lectures, long lectures to my kids, only to find out I'm lecturing on the wrong issue. Dad, that wasn't my issue at all. Okay, keep in mind that stuff too. Let's talk about yours. <laughs> if I had listened for... This is great practical advice. But why is it that true Christianity leads to this? Because one of the two great commands is love your neighbor as yourself which includes your spouse and your kids and your coworker and your neighbor. And if we love them, we will stop and instead of trying to be heard, we will hear first. And I have found with my kids, when I can do that, then I can refine my shepherding and I can deal with the thing they're struggling with and I actually can deal with it with less anger and less angst behind it and there's more openness when they feel heard. Quick to hear. Second one is slow to speak. And it goes with quick to hear because if you're, if you're fast to speak, you're not going to be hearing. Slow to speak. Don't respond quickly to difficult situations, to, to arguments, to, to, to strife with another person. Don't respond quickly. Think about your own words. Have someone proofread your email before you hit send. And the idea here is to just pause. Hit pause and think about, is, are my words edifying here? Are my words helpful? Are my words out of love for the other person or are they out of self-interest, which almost all my arguments are self-interest based? Because I'm right and they're wrong. And one of my kids often thinks they're right and, and everyone else is wrong. And so we have some fun conversations. But so far they are sort of fun. Because we're able to talk. Don't respond quickly. Don't become defensive. As soon as someone says something we disagree with, we want to dig in and, and be defensive and criticize their view because we take it personally. James is saying, no, no, no. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. You don't have to take every word as a call to war. You don't have to take every disagreement as something that you have to go on the attack for. Before we speak, we need to ask words like, or ask questions like, how will this come across? Is this the tone that I really want to communicate or can this be taken a different way? Am I showing grace? Am I showing grace? Don't make your, your goal to be heard. But to understand, listen, and then add grace and truth together to that conversation. This is so vital. See, we, we get into situations and an argument starts and the way arguments work is they escalate and escalate and we get louder and we get louder because that's the only way we can be heard and, and now we've got to talk over the other person. And James is saying, you want, you want better relationships? You want better interactions? Shut the mouth. That's my advice to you. To, that's God's advice to you today. <laughs> what did Pastor Ron say? He said to shut up. And we can say, but I have, but I'm right. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. 
And so many times that is key to controlling our anger. And he says, the last one is slow to anger. Don't jump to thinking the worst of another person. Don't jump to anger. And he's not talking about righteous anger here. And quite frankly, most of the times we think we have righteous anger, we don't. It's still self-centered. But he's talking about man's anger here. You know, this verse, I use this verse in counseling all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of times my role is I'm mediating situations between two people, husband and wife, parents and kids, or maybe two people in the church. So many times my role is simply to make sure this verse gets put into practice. So in that meeting, I'll ask questions like, did you just hear that other person? Can you, can you rephrase what they said? So I know you actually heard that other person. If someone's interrupting, I'll stop them and say, no, we're slow to speak. If it becomes a situation of anger, we stop and say, no, we're not going there. This verse can change your life. And it's based on putting Christianity into practice. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show the grace that God has shown you. Show the mercy that God has shown you. That should just ooze out of our relationships and conversations with other people. In verse 20, he he gives a reason. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, we need to believe this. We know it in our heads, but we need to actually believe this. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or as the NIV puts it, the righteous life that God desires. And that means in you and in them. It doesn't do any good for your righteousness when you're angry all the time at other people. In fact, it produces bitterness and it it hinders us from seeing God at work. And it does nothing for the other person. In, In a yelling rage of anger, have you ever really convinced the other person? Other than on Facebook? Doesn't work there either. No, we don't convince people that way because we're trying to overpower and bully them into a position. It doesn't work in our walk with God. And James says, no, the anger of man does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Period. It doesn't in us because anger festers and grows. And and all of a sudden our view of the offense is so much bigger than reality. It doesn't in the other person. Because we change minds through grace and truth together. And love and truth together. So these two verses say, a mark of genuinely following Christ, control your anger. Control it. Keep it in check. It is not what God desires. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven and 28 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. So that's the slow to speak. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And these are just general Proverbs that are saying the same thing. And I love the next verse, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. If we shut our lips, wisdom, we, we look better. We look wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. There's truth there. Village, how are we doing in our personal interactions? How are we doing at anger, at frustration? If those things keep coming up in our lives, we need to give those to God. We need to figure out why. Because those cannot control us as children of God. 
See, the antidote to anger is usually a trust in the righteousness and justice and grace and work of God. Whereas anger, an uncontrolled anger, is usually a lack of trust in God. He can't handle it, so I have to step in. And it's a lack of love for others. First mark, controlling our anger. James then goes on in 21, and we're going to see a couple of things in 21. The next point, the next mark of genuinely following Christ, of true Christianity, continually working to eliminate sin from life and keep it far away. Continually working to eliminate sin from life and keep it far away. In verse 21, Therefore, so so out of the things he's talked about, the work of the Word and, and keeping anger out of our lives and maturing through trials, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We have two halves to this verse, which will be our points two and three. But the first half is to put away or eliminate the, the filth, the dirt, the sin, the rampant the sin, it says, which means sin in abundance. To put that as far out of our lives as we can. The word there for put away, and we've seen this before in James, we've seen this in other passages, It is a figurative word for taking off clothing. Taking off dirty, filthy clothing. Now, I'm not sure exactly when this happened in my home, but as my children have gotten older, their socks after a full day don't smell as as nice. In fact, at night sometimes, when they take off their shoes and socks, you just want some of those little, little grabbers and maybe a little gas mask. And you want to take those socks to the laundry room where, where Susie, by the grace of God, takes care of it, which, praise God for moms. <laughs> That's the picture here that James is using of all the moral filth and sin in the world. Do we consider it that putrid, that disgusting, that we want to keep it at arm's length and put it off and get it out of our lives? See, the problem with sin sometimes is we don't actually think it's that disgusting and so we don't work so hard to get it out of our lives. But if we have true faith, if we have genuine Christianity, our heart is being refined into the heart of Christ and we can't stand the stench of that stuff. Some of you with infants, the diaper changes we talked about. And I know you're holding those things sometimes at arm's length and getting them. You don't even want them in the trash in the house. We're, we're talking the trash outside or, or the neighbor's trash down the street. I don't know. <laughs> because we're committed to getting that as far away as possible. What if we were committed to get sin and, and stench out of our lives as far away as possible? That's the picture James is using. Work to have nothing to do with it. See sin as repugnant. And it's interesting, the putting away there, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's a participle that means keep putting it away. So this is not something that you're going to do today and say, yeah, Pastor Ron had a great point there. James had a great point. So I'm going to put it away and I'm done. Check that puppy off. No, this is the, the wording he's using. Keep putting it away. Every day, come with an attitude of confession and an attitude of repentance. This takes work, village. This takes intentionality. It means every day as you, as you pray and spend time with God in the morning or in the evening or whatever your rhythm is, to say, God, show me what is junk in my life. 
Show me what is repugnant in my life. Help me get that away as far away as possible. And repenting of our sins and seeing it for the evil that it is. And knowing that God through His grace brings forgiveness and wipes it clean. And He's the one that gets it away from us and out of our lives. Go to the Word and let the Word change you. Which is the second half of the verse. And receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. And so point number three, part of being a genuine Christian or a genuine faith in Christ is welcoming God's Word with receptivity no matter how convicting it is. Welcoming God's Word with receptivity, with openness, with a desire for it to change us no matter what it says, no matter how convicting it is. And this is the second half of that. See, see James here is giving us a, a, a comparison. Put away filth put on or implant God's Word. And, and these two have to go together. Get rid of this, add this. Put off this, put on this. Praise God, he, he gives us the solution. And the solution is to come to God's Word open and let it infiltrate to the deepest recesses of our life. The wording that here is just beautiful. And so and let's just hit the words. And receive with meekness. The word receive means to take it in, to welcome it, to expect it to change you. It means every time you come on Sunday morning and we open the Word, we should be looking for what does God want to do with this this passage? How does He want to change me? This is getting beyond the head knowledge and say, I want to learn something today. Getting beyond that, and that's good, that's great, but getting to, I want it to change me today. And God's Word is living and active. It's a two-edged sword that cuts to the, the, the marrow, beyond the marrow, to the heart, to the soul. It will change us if we're looking for it to. But we can just take God's Word on, on, on just superficial learning and never let it change our hearts. But that's not faith. That's not true Christianity. True Christianity, walking with God, says, I want God's Word to change me, even if it's hard, even if it's convicting. And so receive to be open to it with meekness, which is how we're to be open, the attitude that we're open with. In this case, meekness, you might use the word humility. That we come not thinking we know it all. We come needing God's Word. We come realizing that we need to be dependent on God's Word. If we're to put away the filth and the stench, we have to be dependent on God's Word. Admitting I'm wrong. And God is right. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And I love this word. We were talking about this in the office this week. The idea of implanted is more than just a a passing hearing. It's more than just a, a scan reading. When something is implanted, it gets its roots down deep inside. It's part of who we are. It's permanent. It's lasting. It's inseparable. It's hard to remove. I remember my first year of being a youth pastor, um, and some of you were here at that time, and you know the accident that happened at the skate park because I thought I was perhaps younger than I was, and ended up with a concussion and a crushed wrist. And one of the things they had to do is they had to put screws into my bones with an external apparatus to to hold the, the, the hand in place. Those screws, they were implanted in my body. I did not pull those out. They were screwed into the bone. 
That's the, the picture here of God's word implanted in us. It's, it, it so infiltrates our lives that we can't unscrew it. We can't get, get it away from us. I love this picture because it implies we not only understand it, we've let it change us and become part of who we are. Village, this can't happen in an hour and a half on Sunday morning alone. It can't. Which is why we, we have the rooted reading. It's why we encourage small groups and we encourage study a, a part of Sunday morning. It, it infiltrates every part of our lives. This is the power to combat the filth and the sin that is rampant and abundant around us. The final phrase there, which is able to save your souls. And we saw in verse 18 that one of the gifts of God's Word is salvation. And God's Word brings salvation to us. In this case, James actually uses a different tense. And it's more the ongoing saving of your souls. And we've talked about this before. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. There's all those aspects to salvation Here James is talking about this is the ongoing sanctification. We're becoming like Christ. He's changing us every day if we have the implanted Word in us. Now what do you do when you're hurt? What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you're struggling with temptation? Go to the Word of God. Make sure we're saturated with it. Psalm 119, 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Oh, let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the psalmist says, you you want to fight sin? Store God's word in your heart. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Love it. Implant it in your life. True Christianity, true faith, has us welcoming God's Word with receptivity no matter how convicting it is. Fourth one, and this is the center point in in the seven points. It's the center point in the passage. Um, He's given up till now some practical examples of this and then he will follow it with that. But true faith will have us striving to put God's Word into practice in real life. Striving to put God's Word into practice in real life is one of the marks of genuinely following Christ. Do the Word. The youth a few years back had a theme of doing the Word, being doers and not just hearers. And so we read in verse 22, be, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the heart and soul of this text today. James is saying, don't just hear God's Word. Don't just come and sit in a seat for a while on Sunday morning, but put it into practice. Do God's Word. Genuine Christianity, a genuine walk with God will practice God's Word and not just hear it. And so he's, he's really expanding on the point we talked about in point 3, but you see several different things. In 22, he's saying it's got to be put into practice or else we deceive ourselves. And that deception is thinking that we're walking with God when we're not really walking with God. 
thinking that we, we are Christians and solid Christians because we come to church on Sunday morning and even do a Bible study sometime during the week. I'm super Christian. And James is like, no, that's, those are good things, but that's not what genuine faith is. Genuine faith is actually putting God's Word into practice in your life. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We can't just embrace the life-saving aspect of God's Word without embracing the life-changing aspect of God's Word. Catch that this morning. We can't just embrace the life-saving aspect of God's Word without embracing the life-changing aspect of God's Word. Because if it hasn't changed us, it hasn't saved us. The two must go hand in hand. In 23 and 24, those verses, he just gives a, a, a real a fun example. When we don't put it into practice, when we don't put our faith into practice, we're, we're a bit silly. So, some authors said he's basically saying we're a bit stupid. And, and the illustration he gives is the mirror, right? And so in the morning, most of you, I would bet, looked at a mirror this morning. I, I hope. And imagine if you walked in the mirror this morning, and, and I know... Bedhead's a, bedhead's a thing. And you walk to the mirror and you see it and you're like, oh, we got some work to do before we're presentable, right? Any, anyone? No, no, don't raise hands. Um, <laughs> and imagine you walk to the mirror, you see that, and you're like, oh, oh, that's really bad. And you turn away and like, oh, never mind. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to comb my hair. don't need to brush my teeth. don't need to, to fix anything. And you come to church. And we ask, are you Okay. That's the illustration James uses because that's silly. That's, it, it, it's silly to look at something that reveals who we are, what we need to work at, and then do nothing about it. And so then in verse 24, he says, okay, let's talk about what I really mean. And he says, for he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like in 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, looks in the mirror and... De- Oh, I don't know. I'm fine. But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And he's using a real example we can all relate with to say, let God's word be the mirror in your life. Let the the, the perfect law, which he's referring here not to to the Torah, to the, the, the Mosaic law. He's referring to how Christ has fulfilled it, the gospel and the whole gospel of liberty, the whole of Christ's teaching you look into that and you see yourself and we see our ugliness and we see where we fall down. And he says, now let God change you. Let God comb the hair, brush the teeth, get things looking a little better because it's His strength and His power that does it. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, continues on, doesn't turn away and forget it, but lets it change them, he will see the blessing of Christ. Not necessarily in money, not necessarily in health, but in his blessing. Every time you're in God's word, what do you want me to do with this, God? How do you want me to put this into practice? 26 and 27 then give us a a couple of other examples of what genuine Christianity looks like, what it means to genuinely follow God. 
Point number five out of verse 26. Controlling our words. Genuine Christianity controls our words so they are pleasing to God. That's a mark of genuinely following Christ. Very similar to controlling our anger. If anyone thinks he is religious, in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious or a true Christian, a true follower of Christ, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ow. Ouch. This hurts. None of us are perfect at this. And James isn't saying that if we fall once, our religion is gone and, and He's talking about an attitude, an ongoing behavior, and if we're allowing Christ to be working and changing this part of our lives. But he says, you think you're religious? You think you're walking with God? If you can't control your words, you're not. Because God wants control over even how you talk. I love, I love the imagery there. It's of bridling, right? And, and you bridle a horse or a large animal. In this case, the illustration is a horse. And the idea is our words could be destructive or they could be incredibly powerful and beneficial, right? If you take a wild horse and you just, you know, jump into the pen with it and, you know, maybe hit it a couple times, no, you're toast. You you have no power against that because it's going to bump you and, and, and knock you down. But when we, we take and tame a horse and bridle it, now we control it in the directions intentionally of what will bring blessing and what will bring glory to God. A mark of genuine Christianity is controlling our words so they're pleasing to God. How intentional are we with our speech? Or how sarcastic are we? I'm just telling the truth. I'm just making a point. Are we bridling our tongue? Is it showing the love of God, the grace of God? How often are we gossiping? But gossiping to a safe friend because we're just venting. It's a prayer request. And we are violating God's standard of how we should use our tongues. How we should use our words. This is a theme he's going to come back to a couple more times in chapter 3 and chapter 4 in James because this is so important. And we deceive ourselves with our tongues. We deceive ourselves by thinking we are being loving and kind while at the same time out of the same mouth comes poison. And it's interesting, he says, this person's religion is worthless. How long does it take to build a reputation? Years, right? It takes faithfulness over time to build a reputation. How long does it take to destroy a reputation? Seconds. Seconds. One phrase that reveals our heart. This is why this is so important to control. And something I don't believe we'll have full success over this side of eternity. Because we are dealing in a fallen world with a fallen nature. But we're to be seeking God's help in this and seeking for God to take this under His control. Our tongues reveal what kind of fruit is in the heart. We have an avocado tree in our backyard. And, And weird thing is, it has avocados on it. Not oranges, not grapefruit. We have those in the backyard too. But it is avocados. And that's one of the reasons we know it's an avocado tree. 
your speech and what comes out of your mouth is one of the things that will tell whether you're walking with God or not. Undeniably. We can hide and play the game in so many different areas, but in my experience, it is hard to play the game consistently with our speech. Rather than play the game, why not give our hearts to Jesus? Let Him change us. Let Him change our speech. Because out of the heart flows the words. Number six, we need to finish the last two very quickly here. Number six, a mark of genuinely walking with God is to proactively be helping the vulnerable. Proactively be helping the vulnerable. Religion in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. So again, genuine faith, genuine Christianity, a mark of walking with Christ is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now he's using a couple examples to to show us a broader principle. It's not that we can visit an orphan this week and a widow this week and check we're good for eternity. He's saying the attitude here is we're to be proactively helping the vulnerable. And the orphans and the widows are, are near to the heart of God. They were the unprotected. They were the ones that were sort of the scourge of society. They didn't even have a legal protection. They had no financial backing. And they are near and dear God's heart. And the vulnerable should always be near and dear our hearts. If we struggle with that, we need to, we need to figure out why that part of our heart does not belong to Christ. And he uses to visit, but that word there is to, to take care of, to look in on. Do we care about the least among us? Do we care about the defenseless? Justice and mercy have always been part of God's concerns. In Psalm 68, this is God's heart. Psalm 68, 5 and 6, He's the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. Do you get that? Orphans and widows. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I I, I praise God for village. I praise God for village because I see how you guys are working to take care of the most vulnerable among us. I'll I'll call some of our widows up sometimes and they'll list five people that talk to them that week or visit them that week. I'm like, that is awesome. And sometimes it's like, I really don't need you to call. I'm covered. I'm like, but I care? (laughs) That means the church is doing what the church should be doing. Many, many of you have adopted or fostered. And we take some of the most hurting and some of the, the most damaged of our society and try to show them the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Praise God. And I know a lot of that falls on the moms that are home. Praise God for what you've done and for the challenges that you've faced. Because even on the days that you don't think it's doing any good, you are showing the face of Christ to them. And it does make a difference. Don't give up. One of the things that we're working on and hopefully in the summer, maybe in the fall, we're, we're working on starting a ministry that gives us more practical ways to come alongside those that are fostering and adopting and to come alongside those families because many of us or many of you may not be in a place where you can do that anymore. But you can still support and pray and come alongside. 
So we're going to give some real practical ways coming up uh, to do that. Look for those. Be part of that. The last point, because I don't want to leave a blank on your notes. Genuine Christianity, genuinely following Christ, means not taking on the values and attitudes of this world. Not taking on the values and attitudes of this world. And that's from the last phrase in 27, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And, and the idea of keeping oneself unstained from the world is the, the attitude, the worldview, the mindset of this world has not infiltrated and stained our way of thinking. And so we, and, and quite frankly, when that is the world we live in, that's the air we breathe, we have to be vigilant and on guard to make sure it doesn't affect our thinking. Because it, it, it does. It creeps in so quickly. I, I love the picture there that you use of grass stains. I can remember as a little boy, grass stains were just life. There, and I'd go in and, and, and mom would say, those were new pants. Or those were your dress pants. Yeah. And they have grass stains on them now. <laughs> because a stain gets in and leaves a mark. And, and James is saying, don't let the world and its views and its attitudes get in and leave a mark. Be on guard. Yes, we're being told we're on the wrong side of history. We're being told that we're backwards, that we have crazy beliefs. Hold to them. Don't drift. Genuine faith keeps oneself unstained from our self-indulgent culture today. Seven marks of genuinely following Christ. Intensely practical controlling our anger, controlling our tongue, how we treat each other, putting into practice God's Word, making sure we're taking care of the vulnerable, beware of the attitudes of this world. This is sort of a preview of what's coming in James. Use this this week as a checklist, as a prayer list. Lord, help me in this area. Help me in this area. And let's be a church that is filled with genuine followers of Christ putting it into practice. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenging parts of Your Word. The parts in this text today that have stepped on my toes, that have made me have to evaluate things that I need to work on this week. Lord, help all of us to to be receptive to Your Word, open to the challenges and, and the conviction there, and looking this week to put it into practice. Thank You for a church that is so in tune with trying to follow You. Lord, I see you working in so many lives here. And I praise you for that. Help us to continue to let you change us, to let you make us more Christ-like. In your name, amen.